Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. Check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Osiris. Welcome to the Undermine Podcast. I'm Tom Marshall, your host of these proceedings. And we are at episode 30, which means we've plunged deep into our destination of this season, which is the famous Fall 97 tour. And we decided to find an expert to discuss this with us, although not just an expert, mind you. I think we have found the indisputable expert who can tell us what was driving fish to greater and greater heights every night of this tour. And now my co-host today, King of Osiris, RJB. Are you excited about our guest today? And this is something else. We're into Fall 97, and today we get to discuss one of my favorite fish shows of all time, 11 and nobody but our guests could do this justice, so we're going to get right into it. Um, if you like what we're doing, please consider supporting our new Osiris premium offering. You can get all kinds of amazing stuff, and you can support us. And one more thing, we know everyone out there who's been listening and watching has a lot of memories of these Fall 97 shows. We've see, received a lot of messages asking for people to come on the show, and now we want to hear from you. So send us a video clip of you talking about whatever show you feel like talking about, 60 seconds max. Post them on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Tag Osiris Pod. We're going to choose one of these videos at random, and you will win a handwritten copy of the lyrics to Ghost from my friend Tom Marshall. I hope uh, I remember is- the lyrics. I do too. But speaking of Tom, who's our guest today? Oh man. Well, I had this, uh, you know, I've been the whole night. I've been thinking like, how will I introduce this guest? And I think there really is no better way uh, than to just bring him out of the very cold, dark waiting room and uh, just bring him out into the light. And it is, uh, well, look who's in the freezer. It's Uncle Ebenezer himself, Trey Anastasio. Hi, Trey. We've been focusing on 25 remarkable shows from the 90s uh, leading up to this uh, incredible tour, the, the Fall 97 tour. And I was wondering, Trey, you, you certainly understand like your tape trading audience who listens to all these shows endlessly. They recognize patterns or changes in the band. And Fall 97 is one of those standout tours where band 
energy and fan energy was through the roof for so many reasons. But I always wonder, are there eras you look back upon with with fondness? And if so, is fall 97 one of them? Definitely. Um, um, when you just said fondness, the first thought that I had was, that just popped into my head, um, was, I mean, I like all the eras. I really liked 92, 93. It doesn't get talked about a lot. Um, maybe, I don't know. I don't talk to anyone, <laughs> so I wouldn't know if it did. But um, I, so much happened in 1997. Um, and we can talk about all that, you know, um, the, the change, the, the trajectory of, of life and band changes in from, you know, like mid 96 till Big Cypress was just, it was like a rocket ship taking off. And sometimes I think to myself, when, when I hear, you know, I love everything that happened and, and it's all part of like a journey, but I have to say that I still feel a certain kind of, a different kind of um, joy and pride when I hear shows from like 1992. I think if I remember correctly, there were some fans that were a little bit quizzical about what was going on in the mid nineties. You know, we had this incredibly tight, we used to practice from 11 o'clock in the morning until six o'clock every single day. I would plan out practice at night. I would write out what we were going to do 15 minutes at the beginning of, I mean, it was insane. <laughs> and we had this massive song list already. And a lot of this stuff was, you know, maze, divided sky, like, like really original sounding music. Um, so there was a, a shift that happened, I think. What would you agree with that? Like sort of in the mid to late nineties? Yeah. Where we're getting we were jammy and looser and all this stuff. Yeah. Ninety-three, ninety-four, really. It's like sort of when it started to shift. And we we talked about this summer ninety-five show, which I don't know if you remember, but it was the middle of summer ninety-five with like a, you know, finger lakes, you know, fifty minute tweezer that was just I think people were confused people who'd seen shows in 94 came back in 95 and were like what where, where, where did this go you know um which i don't know if that's what you're referring to but i think yeah that's 92 what I'm to 95 to. yeah well i think when i listened because you told me what show we were going to talk about and it was so fun to go back and listen to it i remembered that there was uh you know that there was you know you have to set that 97 show up with what came before it and what was happening so w when we did the, the tweezer that that was um, important for the four band members was the Bangor tweezer. Yeah. Um, I think that was 94. 94, yeah. So, you know, we had these listening exercises and we we also had play, been playing this incredibly intertwined, composed, all that early fish from 92 was written with a pencil. You know what I mean? where the bass and the two hands of the piano and the guitar and even some of the drum hits were composed and, and tongue and groove. It's very complex music. If you listen to All Things Reconsidered or Divided Sky or You Enjoy Myself or I don't know, all that early stuff, foam. Foam is completely composed, start to finish. So what that did was taught the band to be in a mindset where everyone was, was every bass note was harmonized with a, with a, going by fast the guitar note was here and the two hands of the piano made a chord if you stop the music <laughs> in the middle of fluffhead if you just stopped it mike is playing there's a four note chord being played at any moment in time with the rules of counterpoint so all this discipline that came before the jamming in 97 and then like sometime around 94 95 we started talking about okay let's jam, but let's be the band that listens to each other when we jam, not the band that one guy takes a solo. Let's jam the way we do. That was a, you know, a conscious choice that was happening sometime around 94, 95. There's a way that but, you... But I do remember the audience react, you know, some people like old fans being like, you're losing me here. I don't understand what's happening. And I guess what I'm trying to verbalize at the top of this is that part of my personality agrees with them. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I was so proud of us in '93. We'd walk off stage, and I'd be like, "We we're playing music that no one else in the world—I've never heard a band play like this before." 
No yeah. question. No question. Yeah. I remember Paige in the fish book about 97 was saying, uh, I think about this show that we're talking about now that uh, we're composing music on stage like uh, I've never heard before. And it, and it filled filled him with delight. Something you said about this, uh, about this particular show, I, I think about this tour was that you guys had made a rule of no analyzing. And I guess that implies that like after each show, you would sit around and kind of analyze the show. And I'm wondering if um, it was that communication, like right now, if you listen to this tour, fans hear an intense communication between the four of you. And I'm wondering, uh, you know, four shows into this tour, it, it's so apparent. And is that communication a result of letting go? It's kind of a result of not wanting to argue. <laughs> the rule was a response to not wanting to have arguments. So because of the amount of time we were spending together, and Tom, you were witness to that, you know, Absolutely. it's still four guys who had been over a decade locked in a car. So we came off stage. Anytime somebody said that wasn't a good show or that was a good show, someone else would immediately respond with, I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no right answer. They were both right, you know. But but this show, like, and you said you went back to it. This is four shows into this tour that ends up, you know, just being completely amazing the, the whole time. What? How are you guys into this? I don't know if it, you, this occurred to you when you're listening back, but it sounds to me like you're you're all completely locked in from the first note. Four shows into a tour, and I feel like for bands that. You know, okay. I mean, you were you were touring a lot, but but you, but it wasn't like you had just come from from a tour. You guys had had a little time off, and then suddenly we're like on this rocket ship again. Okay, can I can I do do the no analyzing? I'm going to quasi disagree with you, but I'm going to yes. say yes. Yes, yes. I I'm love it. Quasi disagree with you. Here's what happened in '97. Let me back up to '90. This is why I went back to '92. You have to put this in context. Um. In case I'm, maybe I'm getting the dates wrong, but we recorded the second disc in 90. Okay. We recorded the second disc in March or something like that. Tom and I did four fully realized farmhouse sessions where we wrote the entire repertoire, including Story of the Ghost. Twist. I mean, everything we were playing in that era was, was written in, set. this is all in one year. I think we played a festival. Great, great went great or something. Went. Like great that. went. Yep. Great yeah. went. This is all in 97. We went to Europe twice. Twice, yeah. You're on we Letterman. Europe, You're like on Conan. A, seemingly a week before this tour, we were in Europe doing the Back of the Worm show. We were doing the Sick of Disc. We were doing Farmhouse. We were doing, it was insane. But more importantly than any of that, from where I stand, no one in the Fish organization except for, I'm going to say Tom, who's my pal, but in the direct fish organization of band members and crew and uh, management office, had children, except for me. So I got married in the summer of 1994, and my life started to change, as we all know when we get married. Um, I had a child suited, <laughs> we did, in 95. And then in April of 97, I had another child, we did, and we had a home birth. And the way I remember, well, I'll have to fact check these dates, but I'm pretty sure this is how it went. Um, you know, I've got the coolest wife in the world because she was just like, off you go. You know, I got my two children and I'm a hippie in the woods with no nanny or anything like that. Just <laughs> go, go off to Europe, which was the back of the worm tour. So I felt like I was sort of living two lives, like I was going out and having this explosion of stuff um and then coming home and trying to be super dad you know like changing diapers and like okay i leave that at the door and because of the fact that i was the only one who had children the party was on man it was on and that's got to be factored into what you're hearing in that show the party was on, the party was on the bus, the party was after the show. Every night, there were tons of people on that bus. It was packed. And we would finish the show and everyone would come on the bus <laughs> and start rolling. 
And that's what I heard when I listened to it a couple of days ago. I was mm. like, okay, I remember this. And then kind of these kind of strangely conflicted feelings from me, like about like, okay, you know, uh, kind if of like, you ask more questions, I, I can get more into this, but when you really look at everything that happened in 97, I mean, it was nuts. The amount, it wasn't like, yeah. oh, they started this tour and they started off. We, that was part of a continuum. I think we were, I think we were in the studio, like around my birthday doing story of the ghost and that's beginning of October and of September. And we were on tour in November and we were in Europe and weren't we? Yeah. Yeah. February, March, and then, and then June, July. So yeah. Yeah. Those are the Europe tours. And yeah, that all, it was so all, yeah, so the whole year was like, there wasn't a, there wasn't a free day the whole year, except for like the day to go home and have the home birth and then go meet Tom, <laughs> you know, five minutes later in the farmhouse somewhere. It was unbelievable. But that also like, you know, created this feelings of like, you know, when you start having children, your whole worldview changes and the whole flow, you know, that you're hearing, I, that was, I know for me, part of it, I think, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, but that, you know, all of those things sort of conspired. Yeah. Um, to, you know, it's life changes and they're all, they're all the eras are good, but, but, you know, you can't, when you have two kids at home, you can't, you know, the amount of time that was spent developing that 94 repertoire. Yeah. On my part was, you know, like 12 hours a day. I mean, I just was writing constantly like a song like It's Ice or something like that. I would get up in the morning, write for, you know, it took me, it took, you know, I'd write three bar, three bars of It's Ice took you know, probably two or three hours. Mm. Mm hmm you know, perfecting, perfecting, perfecting. Always, like all day. And then once there were kids in the house, you're changing diapers, it changes, you know? Yeah, yeah. It changes. So <laughs> this is, okay, this is really, I mean, this perspective changes my whole, my whole like line of thinking about this, but you 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 said in the fish book that the areas of risk and safety switch places between ninety six and ninety seven. It might be related to to what we were talking about with you know analyzing and um, being more, I guess, open. But you know, to me, fall ninety seven was the first of many times when I felt like fish was like this exciting, unpredictable adventure. I was a freshman in college. I saw a bunch of shows, and I was there was an air of like fearlessness. I thought that I'd never heard in music before. And it, granted, this is right when I started seeing live music, but. I, I saw this as like every night the lights went down and there was this like fearlessness and dominance, not dominance in a negative way, but just like we're, we're, we're going where we're going and you're coming with us and there's no hesitation. There's no, right. you know, and I, I, I guess, is that about taking risks or is like, how, how does that come to be? Or, or do you even see it like that? Maybe, maybe that's not even your perspective. I do. No, I do. I think it's really, I love what you're saying. I'm listening. I'm, I'm going to do the same thing I just did, which was, let me tell you a story. Yeah. <laughs> when we did Rift, we had been signed to Electra Records. And I walked into the office and I, and I, our A&R person, Nancy Jeffries was her name. <laughs> she wouldn't mind me telling this story, I don't think. Uh, she was assigned to be our A&R person. And I walked in with this, you know, the first chair, the first track in you know, a rift. Dun, 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 again, which was like this 1993, 92. Yeah. And she hated that record so much. Everyone at the record company. And I had the worst. I'll never forget this. She was like, this is the worst music I've ever heard. I will not work this record. And she handed me a Frank Black solo record from the Pixies. The one that's, I remember it. I went home and put it on. The first song was, I want to live in Los Angeles, not the one in Los Angeles, which I thought was a pretty good line. <laughs> <laughs> but she was like, try to be more like this. You guys are so uncool. We can't work this way. It was a horror show. Wow. And they never did. <laughs> and the way I felt at that moment was, you're, fuck you. You're so yeah. wrong. Fuck you, yeah. fuck you, fuck everybody. You're so wrong. I just couldn't give two shits whatsoever what any of them thought. So, again, 
I'm just throwing this into the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> that I did have a feeling, like it or not, in 91, 92, 93, 94, when I walked on stage, I had the exact feeling that you just described. Mm -hmm. I am now going to play something you've never heard, and you're coming on the journey whether you like it or not. It's called David Bowie, and you're going to dance the whole time. And I'm <laughs> going to go through every single one of the 12 keys in the space of no one's played anything like this before. And that's how we felt. We walked off with pride. Then in 94, 95, we're like, you know, let's work on the jamming. Well, after that, it's like, okay, what are we going to contribute to the stream of music? So when we kind of started jamming, that's what all those listening exercises were about. I mean, there were conversations in band practice where like, I'm not going to jam unless we, we got to do something new. We've got to jam in a new way. And it's got, you know, and all that work we did led up to, you know, and I think what was important about that 97 show that we're talking about for the four of us was that, again, what had just preceded it was looseness, risk. We were taking risk, you know, on, all through the previous year or two. And we had been going into the studio trying to jam sick at disc and trying to be free and open, open spirit, open spirit, open spirit. And I, for the four of us, the ghost during that show, I like the tweezer opener too. It was like we were really loose, but you can really hear if you really listen, you know, the passing of the baton back and forth, even in the simplicity. I mean, to me, that's kind of what we had been shooting for. So Fish is on the hi hat and he could just open the hi hat and I would change what I was playing on the rhythm guitar. And then Paige goes, he's bringing in the synthesizers. And um, it, we, after the show, listened to that ghost on the, on the uh, bus. And it was like the first time we ever could listen to fish. Like a live fish show. And, you know, it was, a, it was an important show for us in that way. But I'm not saying that it wasn't a bumpy ride getting there. Uh, incredibly <laughs> you know, bumpy. Yeah. yeah. So the material, the writing and the material and the playing of the shows is always tongue and groove. For me, from where I sit in this fabric, right? So we got to slow down in space. We got to slow down. We're playing all these crazy mental fugues. We got to slow down. Let's go to the farmhouse. What do we write? Twist. Ghost, Bug. Those are all written in the farmhouse in 1997. Olivia's Pool, so many. But those three, just think, you know, the, 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 the intent or the feeling, the wave of the feeling was slow down. It's two months later, we're in the studio. Story of the Ghost is the album title and the opening track. It was recorded in 97. Came out in, I think, 99, but it started, the recording started in 97. Am I correct? That's what I remember. This yeah. was all part of a conscious effort to be more, to bring an element into the music that was contrary to what we had been doing the previous years, which was kind of fast and, and tongue and groove, right? Well, let's slow down and get funky. Let's write some funky, slow down funky songs. Let's do a new album. The, the title track is, and then here's the show we're talking about. What song are we talking about? We're talking about Ghost, who was only a couple of months old. Yeah. That makes sense. What, can I ask a quick question just to follow up? Because the way you described the 92, 93, like this, the tongue and groove, the, the just beautiful compositions that were so precise and fast and the, the feeling, the need to try something different. Is that just being an artist? Like, does that always happen or, or were there other things that made you think like, well, let's now we need to space things out. I mean, was it anything besides just feeling like as an artist, we don't want to, we don't want to get stuck in, in what we were, what we've been doing for so it's long. It's like, that's a good point that you just made. And, and I'm responding to that. I think it's kind of like you're working on a piece or I'm working when I'm working on a piece, I'm always thinking this is the greatest thing ever. And then as soon as it's done, I hate it. Like, I just like, Oh my God, I can't believe I thought that was good. You know, I want, I want to try again. Give me another try. It's like that. And then mm. like, this is it. And you're working and then like it's like the day of mastering it's the worst day ever <laughs> you can't change it anymore it's like, ah, why didn't i you know what I mean? like that kind of thing so <laughs> there's that 
but um, and then there's the I may be veering off your question here, but we need to talk about if we're going to talk about this show, you, you really need to factor in what was going on during that period of time. You know what I mean? I'm going to play you something here, which I think people probably have heard before, but and then I'll explain what you're hearing. <laughs> yeah, what I'm going to play you is the end of the album version of, of Twist, right? So I was going to play you just as one little example of that was this is the album version of Twist. And Paige was doing his, we don't have a control room in the barn. There was such a huge party the whole time, always, that the whole basically recording of Fish album was like, everybody shut up. <laughs> So there was one moment at the end of Twist where I was like, Bryce, just leave record so we could document this. And this this is it. This is what it sounded like when Fish was recording. This is just him just leaving record on while Paige did his overdub. Wouldn't twist around. Wouldn't twist around. Wouldn't twist around. James Brown circa 1966 to 1969. Over and over and over and over again. And on it goes and on it goes right into Colorado 97. We walk in the door and open with the tweezer. Now, to my ear, what you're hearing is just a continuation of the life that we were leading on the bus. And if you really listen closely, because I noticed this right away, check out the bass. Because sometimes when Mike gets going, he plays like lead bass, and he wasn't during that period. He was playing really simple, which is boo doo 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 doo. Give it up, turn me loose. Boom, boo doo, boom, boo doo 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 doo. And fish is just doo doo. There you got it. That's where it came from. guys from Vermont can't play funk they can't compared to that the real <laughs> funk <laughs> but we ended up it just seeped in it seeped in the and funk I seeped guarantee in. You that night we like went right back on the bus and started again <laughs> no question no question and I remember and it Tom uh, you were there so I was like, lucky to have been there and time. everyone who was there counts themselves incredibly lucky to have been there because while it was a party there was also amazing music you guys were whatever was fueling the party whatever was fueling the music it was all just one big incredible amazing party which is factored into the history of fish and it's what we're hearing in these shows and uh i think it's time to talk specifically about the music when we return after a short break hey listeners i want to tell you about one of our great partners DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. If you're a musician and looking to get your music out there, DistroKid is the way to go. DistroKid is available for iOS and Android and is now available in Apple's App Store and the Google Play Store. More than a million artists rely on DistroKid to get their music onto Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all other major streaming services. And with DistroKid, you can upload new releases, see your financial progress, get notified when you've earned royalties, withdraw money from the app, view and share links, check your streaming stats, and a whole lot more. 
DistroKid has more features than any other music distributor. Check them out today. Go to distrokid.com, that's distrokid with a capital K, dot com slash VIP slash undermine for a special offer only for our listeners. That's distrokid, capital K, dot com slash VIP slash undermine. Thanks, DistroKid. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. I feel like this Get down! The Wrath of the Buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The Wrath of the Buzzard. P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. And we're back with our great friend, Trey Anastasio. Trey, uh, when we left for break, you were talking about the party scene and how it kind of uh, influenced or definitely influenced and was part of the music. Yeah. And it's funny when you're on commercial there, I was thinking. So the, 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 what I was just describing, you know, there's this other element where, you know, the four of us, you know, this music that was playing on the bus, you know, we worship this music. Who doesn't? Right. And we were students of it. Yeah. I mean, it definitely was music school and this kind of understanding that, you know, in 96, we shifted full time to arenas. And now we've become, we were always a party band in the sense that we had a party scene around us, and mostly our, our friends. And the friends scene grew and grew and grew. It still feels like that. But it had become this dance party and while it was true that we're staying up till the sun rose every night i can guarantee you that you know all four of us would be like sidebarring studying why this music worked so well you know and wanting to add that to our repertoire of the more kind of you know um Kind of literal or you know that we had sort of explored you know like harmony and but you know feel and groove and all that stuff was had become like increasingly important to us probably based on what we were viewing while we were playing out in the audience and what people were responding to and we really did um play these albums we would put on albums that were you know timeless groove albums and play them with people in front of us and watch what people were responding to and based on the level of communication and interplay when you hear the ghost from from 97 we felt like it was a success and even though this party was going on we were work we were listening to it the next day and asking ourselves you know, debating having a healthy band debate about what's working what isn't it was always like that it, it always is and it's it remains that way dicks the last show that fish played the four of us were backstage still doing it still doing it you know what i mean and and there's always been also a you know the previous generation of fans is always going to understandably bristle a little bit at the change you, you know what i mean yeah at least a, but, at least a segment a segment of the right? yeah like a why is he in shade now or whatever like you know, because I like shade. Yeah. It, yeah. But it doesn't sound like <laughs> I saw it again. Right. Well, right. Yeah. That's you can goes. still hear it. I saw it again. We'll yeah. play that too. Don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to come to more shows. <laughs> yeah. So Trey, this, it's very rare that we get to talk about old fish with you. So we have to take at least a couple of minutes and just talk about this ghost um, before we let you go, because the sound, I'm just, I'm curious what you hear when you go back to this, because there are these like, the synths and the effects that I think are just kind of starting to provide more texture in really in 97. I mean, I, I maybe starting with remain in light or around that time, but there's this, like you said, you guys are kind of handing the baton co consistently throughout that jam. And then it just builds to this peak, which is not, it's not like a typical rock peak. It's, it's, it's like organic. There's a lot of space and it kind of evolves over time. That's the way I hear it. So it's, it's one of my yeah. favorite passages um of any on like, any live like fish. layer right like yeah. layers of yeah first of all page yeah. started doing 
everyone sounds incredible on this jam. Paige started opening the door, which I think has been the biggest door to Fish's continued um, um, development, which is his playing those those washy sonic synths. I just lo I love it when he does yeah. that. I think his synth playing combined with his amazing piano playing is so unique. Um, uh, I love the synth playing on Sigma Oasis on the album. Just gorgeous. Yeah. I think an evening song. He's doo -doo 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 -doo. It's so cool. And when he, whenever he goes to one in the jams today, like in Modern Day Fish, I'm so excited over that. I'm like, yes. And so are we. They didn't have a lot of effects, but I had, you know, the... Um, I had the whammy with the high octaves and the low. And when I can hear, like whenever a page goes one of those synths, it just, it's like a step into a whole new universe. And so that was hugely influential. I also think, you know, the bass and drumming really developed. And again, I think it's from going to school on the bus. We were going to school basically every night. But if you think about how simply Fish is playing compared to what the way he used to play, he was pretty busy up till that you know mm -hmm. on, on that ghost he's like it's like he's like leaning into the pulse leaning into that groove and mike is playing these bass lines that are like on that ghost if you listen to us like listen real closely he's 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 simple and repetitive and meditative but what he does is he sort of changes one note and it kind of goes to a vague are we in major are we in minor mm. It's not the radical mm. key change that we've been doing like in 2022, mm -hmm. but it's like, I'm, he's choosing the notes that don't really quite have a key. It's really, really cool. Like like that kind of thing. Like. hear on that ghost that everybody is listening intently every time somebody makes the tiniest change everybody else goes with them and it's kind of led by each band member so those layered things like sometimes like it's like rhythm guitar and then i go in my mind like the arpeggios were like backing up pages synth mm. like he opened up a and i'm almost like the um the whitewash behind the wave it's like, and then the symbol, like, ding, 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 the bell is symbol. I also want to shout out when I heard it. Um, I thought the mix was great. And we could hear each other really well. Uh, there have been various eras of hearing each other on stage is really trickier, as any band will tell you. If you want to play at that level, you go from playing like in a living room to, Suddenly you're on an arena stage and it's washy and you have to move six inches closer and farther apart. You get to this moment sometimes it's like, I can hear everybody. <sighs> sometimes you just shout them out. Shout them out. Who is it? It's Paul. Paul. Right? Yeah. Paul did great. And Bruno. And the Bruno. Oh, so you guys can hear each other on stage. We could hear each other. And Paul was mixing beautifully. Paul was in a real mentality at that point in time of trying to put all the faders at unity gain. Hmm. Basically, if you walk behind the soundboard, you would see all the faders were straight across. But he would always say to us, <laughs> and Gary says the same thing, by the way. I love this about both of them. Um, they said, when you guys are listening to each other like that, I don't do any mixing at all. I just cross my hands behind my head and lean back. 
Oh my God. And then they wow. both would say, and you say that you're always listening like that, but you're not. And when you're not, it's a shit show because everybody's playing at the same time. As soon as one person isn't listening to somebody, it's just white noise. And now I don't know what to do. I have to make a choice. Wow. They both said the same thing. They're like, if when you really are listening to each other, it's easy to mix. I have a listening question of, of you guys listening to each other on stage and it's clear that that's going on. You guys are almost mind reading like how you can jump from one thing to another. But I'm wondering like, because these grooves sometimes are, are, are going on for a long time. Is it after a long time that someone makes a suggestion to change or like, are, in other words, do you sit comfortably in the groove for a while or is, you know, cause if you change the second something was played differently, those long grooves wouldn't happen. So it's not, yeah. So what happens? Like, how does that work? Well, the, the mindset, because of the early listening exercise in the career, right? Meaning in, the, in our life together as friends, the four of us, would be, I'm sitting there and I, the important element to um, the listening exercise is that you say the word, hey, out loud, when you hear that the other three have settled. So exactly what you were just alluding to, they're not changing anymore. So uh -huh. if I say, hey, in the exercise, and you're still searching, basically what I just told you is I'm not listening to you. Uh -huh. So then you know right away, okay, you're not listening to me. So I think, and Paige and I talk a lot about this, you know, we're... Um, I just put myself back at the last show, which would be dicks. So I'm like sitting there and I'm like, Paige, you know, like I'm, I'm scanning all the time. Du -du 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 -du. What's Mike doing? What's Paige doing? What's Mike doing? What's Fish doing? And sometimes what you find is a band member is like off in their own world and you can tell. Right. Um, that's pretty rarely Paige. <laughs> <laughs> it's really I love that guy that's amazing he's always, though he's always like right there <laughs> but so sometimes the change is indicating the other people I'm still with you and the other that's, time the change awesome. is letting letting you know your hi-hat the bell of your hi-hat is leading this jam right ding ding so i'm just i'm just trying to like that rhythm guitar like is like glued to that bell so, duck, duck. then i hear just out of the corner i have to immediately at that moment what's mike and page doing what's mike and page doing i'm focused on the hi-hat immediately like this fast lightning fast it's like whack, whack. And he's like so i go whack, whack. No, 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 no. Whack. it's like tell them both i'm listening i'm listening it's almost like, don't get mad at me. I'm listening. <laughs> you so know, and I'm behind you. I'm behind you. I'm always behind. I'm backing you up. Even when I'm like screaming on the guitar, I'm still backing you up. And I think that's what RJ was saying. He was hearing. I hope so. That would be a lovely thing if that's what you're hearing. Because I, yeah. I want to be the whitewash. Yeah. Paige's synthesizer is the boat. And I'm the water ski whitewash when I'm going, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's loud, but it's supposed yeah. to be the spray from the, you know, the spray from the water, the, the uh, water skiers turning. Yeah. I mean, that's then, amazing. 
Yeah. You know, and then as I'm doing it, if Mike kind of goes to this major tonality, then I just have to move, you know, and all of a sudden it's major. And then you're, and then on it goes. Man, I can't believe that you do that and, and there's 20,000 people watching and waiting to see what happens next while you're trying to tell everyone that you're still listening and then decide <laughs> what to actually do in that moment. I mean, you must be, I, I assume it's exhausting, but also exhilarating to do it's that. It's exhilarating. It's <laughs> exhilarating. But it's exhausting if, you, if you're if you flailing. Hmm. There's some Here's level where it gets really interesting. This, we've now come full circle. Yeah. You going? I'm going to say. Okay. And Tom will know this. I'm really hard on myself. Like Fish calls it the invisible whip. I don't want people to spend money and go up there and suck. And when it happens, like, I'll like lay awake all night, like berating myself for letting somebody down that spent money on a concert ticket and putting on. So here's where it gets interesting is the risk makes the concert that we, we're all talking about a concert that started off with a one, this an unbelievably spacious tweezer jam in an arena. And I remember, I'm not making this up, reading a horrible review in the paper the next day of that show. <laughs> which I'm not even going to get into, but we used to read bad reviews all the time. Constantly. The record company said our records suck. People magazine said we were the worst band of the year. That was all our first national press. This wasn't like a love fest, but we had to get up there and take the risk, right? Because yeah. if you don't go out, there's nothing interesting that isn't out on the outer edge. Yeah. So if it's working to do the 94 style show, you got to do something different now. You have to. If it's working being, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Yeah. Listen, I'm, I'm, I really like, I'm really, I really like the singing on Sigma Oasis. Like for myself, I feel like I finally learned how to be a singer. It took a lot of practice and work, and I, I, I'm really, really happy with it. I really like the vocals on Sigma Oasis. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Well, we already know how to jam in 97 style, so that's no fun. What else can't we do? Let's <laughs> become really good singers. You see what I'm trying to say? Yeah. But it's like, I didn't come to fish to see. Well, <laughs> you got to like keep growing. You have to be alive and keep growing. So what's the next frontier? Dance. <laughs> <laughs> we actually talked about Get that. Get in there. Okay, dude, Get in there. I got to tell you, the last Halloween, we almost did it. <laughs> For Halloween, we we're going to do a boy band. We we're going to be a boy band. And we weren't going to play instruments at all. All we were going to do is dance. All four of us, no oh instruments. At all. Just like Backstreet Boys style dance. Oh my god, that would have been that, that would have been fantastic. That's amazing. All right, now we know where the next frontier is. <laughs> it's not even in music anymore, ladies and gentlemen. We could do like a backstreet voice. Back streets, back. All right, we're like, we're like dancing around. Oh my god, Jay, that that brings up in a very a very important point. An incredibly important point. And I know I, I'm looking forward now and I know you're competitive as hell always <laughs> about fish. And, and like, you know, you didn't mention uh, that every single negative, I mean, you, you mentioned a couple of negative reviews that you read and how they affect you, but I, I know they really affect you. And I know you're incredibly competitive about the band and i'm wondering about the the harry styles 15 shows in a row that he played <laughs> at msg if that's even a blip on your radar i mean that's not a blip. i like harry okay. i saw harry at msg i saw harry the two shows i saw harry the two shows before um he did the 15 night run it was good and one of the things i liked about harry at the concert was like his he he, he for a pop star I really liked it. I really liked it. For a pop star, he wasn't emanating a lot of ego. He was emanating uh, this vibe, vibration that I really liked of inclusiveness and partying. He was like dancing and it's like feet are flying off the ground. He's running around 
and out like outwardly but without the trappings of what a lot of young boy band type you know get into this ego thing and it ends up killing them he doesn't seem to have it he seems to be isn't this amazing that we're all in this room and and i recognize that feeling from that same room so i i really loved it you know um uh you know it was more of a like wow you've always so, celebrated bands that write their own music oh totally and you <laughs> so did you you yeah. know what i mean like yeah. i mean yeah. you know i don't know no just question. write something you know what i mean like yeah. for, for 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 only because it's gonna die you can't this is why king Giz is the greatest band in the world <laughs> i don't know if we're gonna get that on the mic or not we got <laughs> it on the mic we got that's, it on the mic that's why because now there's a band that's doing it it makes me so happy. I love them. Love. How many albums have they come out with in? 23 albums in five years. Oh, my God. It's intimidating. Like, it's into, as a fan to to try and absorb the material and, and wrap your head around it. But that remind you of any other band? That's part of the deal. Does that remind you of anything that you about your yeah. favorite band? Yeah, I mean, my parents asked me why I would have, you know, hundreds of live recordings of the same band. Um uh, those are all my tape covers back there on the wall. I mean, man, I went to Florence Hills. That show was, I had so much fun. Oh God, it was so good. It was so good. I feel like we've tapped into the energy source of what undermine what Osiris has been going for, for this entire season. And so I, I want to thank you like from the bottom of my heart that for you coming on right at this point, right in the middle of fall 97, which is our goal of this season. And, and thank you, Trey. It always means so much to me when, when we get to talk like this. Thank you so much, Tom. And, and I've really enjoyed, I've listened to a bunch of them and I've really enjoyed this season. Thanks. And thanks to the listeners and thanks to the Osiris team. And, and I want to give a quick shout out to Cash or Trade, the world's only social network where fans buy, sell and trade tickets at face value. Uh, they're at cashortrade.org. Remember to review and subscribe wherever you listen or watch. Goodbye. And I'm going to give the mic to Trey for any last words. Uh, just thank you and anyone listening for joyous. What a, what a ride. Look forward to when 5.0 starts. <laughs> <laughs>